Good morning, listeners. Today you have a choice. You can sit in silence in a very boring room for 15 minutes, or you can give yourself an electric shock. Make the right decision. I'm here this morning with David Orney. How are you, David? Very well, thank you, Tim. Halfway through a very big coffee. (laughs) Highly caffeinated, which is what we like. Some of our best episodes have been sponsored by caffeine. Mm. And particularly (laughs) when big pink cups. (laughs) Now, for people who don't know on Perry Street, there's a great coffee place called Better Than Sex. Mm. Now, it's actually the cupcakes that are meant to be better than sex, but the coffee's pretty good too. (laughs) A contentious topic. Maybe we can talk about it another time. (laughs) Topic number 902 on Blind Insights is coffee better than sex. sex, We can simply say, no, move on. (laughs) Right. We're going to talk about, uh, I guess, an experiment that you recently shared with me. Yeah, I think you and I had talked about it once and then Penny knew about it as well when she came on. It's like, hang on, if lots of other people keep running into this and going, oh, wow, people can't sit for 15 minutes with their own thoughts, they'd rather electrocute themselves, this seems worthy of discussion. Mm. I think at various times the experiment's been done with different numbers of people in different places and everyone gets very similar results. Mm. The tests lasted between 6 and 15 minutes. Yep. So it's a relatively short amount of time, but it's scary to think that people would rather hurt themselves than sit in their own company. Well, this is the problem with the the information we have here. How much of a shock it is? Mm. Is it you know horse owners out there and farmers out there you know know what it's like to touch an electric fence, mm. and you really don't want to. But then I'm also the person that can sit quietly for fifteen minutes. So, listeners, to put this in context, you'll see in the show notes we put a link in to the version of the experiment that we're talking about most directly, done by Timothy Wilson. Sixty-seven percent of males doing the experiment chose to shock themselves rather than sit in silence with their own thoughts for 15 minutes. And very interestingly, 25% of females opted to shock themselves rather than sit with their own thoughts in silence. So massive difference between men and women. Mm. So the room as well is filled with, with literally nothing, like plain white walls. Yeah, right? it's the most boring room. Well, it's basically a cell. Yeah. And the only difference is you know that the door can open and close, so you still have control over your own destiny. If mm. you decide, you can shock yourself and walk out. Now, the interesting thing is, and this is something that's not brought up in the experiment, I only just thought of this, I wonder if there were people who neither sat for 15 or shocked themselves but just got up. So what's interesting with this experiment is 67% of males went, oh, the choices were sit in silence or shock myself and leave. Mm. They didn't add an extra choice, which is just get up and walk out. Hmm. That's kind of odd, isn't it? It would have been really cool to witness people do that, and I would have respected those people as like these rebellious heroes of just, no, that's it, I'm in control of my own destiny, I'm just going to get up and leave. Well, that's, <laughs> This is fascinating because, golly, I hadn't even thought of this as we were preparing to do this, but the Milgram shock experiments, hmm. which weren't about shock, but were about authority. Yeah. So, listeners, if you don't know, Milgram shock experience, Stanley Milgram was fascinated by the impact that authority has over people. You know, he started thinking about this because of the Nuremberg trials where Nazis were going, yep, I only followed orders. 
And what Stanley Milgram wanted to work out is how strong is authority? How strong is compliance? Will people comply to authority? So one person would sit in a chair and be asked to ask the other person questions. And when they got questions wrong, they'd be asked to give them a shock. Now, the person wasn't being shocked, but the person supposedly giving the shocks didn't know this. And there would be an experimenter there in a white lab coat who would keep encouraging them, no, you need to give them the shock now. Please do as instructed. And the vast majority of volunteers would keep flicking the switch right up to lethal voltage. Mm. Uh, When Philip Zimbardo asked Stanley Milgram, did anyone ever just get up and walk out? Stan Milgram said, no, never, which is pretty scary in its own right. So authority made sense in the Milgram shock experiment where there's an experimenter in the room essentially doing oversight and looking official. But if you're left in a room and told 15 minutes of silence or shock yourself and leave, how come people don't come up with a third option? Are we really such sheep? Mm. And, of course, the experiment suggests, yes, we are. (laughs) Oh, gosh. All right. (laughs) Didn't know that was going to go there. (laughs) You know, I think... For me, the my curiosity spouts from whether the shock is an is the most entertaining thing that they can do in that space. Precisely, or, is it a desire for novelty? Yeah. Yes. Or is it that it is so unbearable to be bored or to be within your own thoughts that you would prefer to hurt yourself? So we have at least a few things here to unpack. What's it like to sit for fifteen minutes? Yeah. Is a shock a form of novelty? Mm. And why don't people walk out? Okay, we, do we want to start with the obvious one, sitting with our thoughts? Yeah, uh, well, that, that's... Because that's where we started. Well, that's where we meant to start. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's something I've actually been practicing recently, ever since we had this discussion with With Penny. Penny. Okay. Yeah. How's that been going? What's your experience been? So recently I had to sit in a waiting room for an orthodontist appointment uh, and I was waiting for, it would have been maybe 20-something minutes. I don't actually know because I had my phone in my pocket the entire you time. You deliberately didn't yep. look to distract yourself. You just sat and waited. Yep, and didn't have my headphones on or anything like that, which is normally, I can normally sit and not look at something. I just need to be entertained by music or whatever mm. it is, but this time I decided not even to do that. Um, but, you know, and then I found myself even thinking, by comparison from what these people were experiencing in a plain white room to what I was experiencing, I had lovely art all around the room. I could look at the architecture, the ceiling. You know, I was still not really even in my own thoughts too much. I was just appreciating things that were And there would have been all sorts of people sitting around with different facial expressions and doing different things. Yeah, yeah. So people watching could very easily take up 15 to 20 minutes, I would imagine. Definitely. I find people listening can easily take up time. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. What I could hear from, yeah, even the next room. Uh, I want to do this more, and I think you can still do this on the train and those kinds of things, but when, when you're in a public situation, it is still easy to be uh, maybe distracted is the right word. I'm not sure. but Yeah, but there's something about being situationally aware mm. that I'd say is still better than needing to be distracted by something of your own choosing. Being situationally aware of saying, I'm in this world and I'm going to be a part of it, even if I'm just passively absorbing it. Mm. At least you're present. So there's still a degree of presence and mindfulness in that to at least listen to the world you're in. 
Yeah, okay. Orthodontist. Hopefully you're not hearing too many dentist drills. Like, <laughs> the whole thing off a bit, but hey. See, I find this interesting because for me, I've always just sat quietly because of, you know, sitting in a waiting room or sitting waiting for something for all the years before Walkmans and then phones. Mm. Well, what else is a blind kid going to do but sit? And also needing to be situationally aware to make up for not being able to see. Why would I stuff, you know, uh, earbuds in my ears and listen to anything? Mm. I then would lose the situation. So I get totally baffled by this experiment because the amount of time I would have spent just quietly sitting and being being situationally aware listening listening sort of passively just aware enough to notice what's going on but not really be too involved in it mm. just be quietly sitting with my own thoughts and the situation in balance for me that's most of my my you know, life i can remember of waiting for buses you know waiting for trains waiting in doctor's surgeries you know waiting for this waiting for that it's just so normal i i really struggle to understand why 67% of males can't deal with it <laughs> What stands out to me is that if I was in that situation, I almost wouldn't even want to participate in the study. I would want to use my time more effectively than <laughs> to shock myself or sit in a room and be bored. See, that's the thing. I guess Timothy Wilson must have asked for volunteers. Yeah. But did they know what they were volunteering for other than, you know, there'd be no blood? <laughs> <laughs> like, what, what do you know when you volunteer for something like that? It's funny because it's a, a pretty simple experiment. Uh and and it for me it kind of harks back to um you know those tests with kids where you know you have one marshmallow now or if you wait 5 minutes you can have two marshmallows those, mm, those I was thinking the same thing when I first encountered this stuff mm. it you know it relatively simple but what you can draw from it is massive it's it's important it's impactful the one thing i get from you know this experiment is it reinforces something i notice when i'm teaching undergraduates mm. And that is, they are as capable of thinking as they have always been. But I see less evidence of regular thinking mm. than I used to see. And that's not to say undergrads are stupid, they're not. Mm-hmm. It's to say I don't see the evidence of time spent reflecting. And interestingly with the girls, more than the guys, the girls, even if they have reflected, getting them to talk about it becomes more of an issue. <laughs> Again, it's that thing of just being a little bit more reticent about being judged, I think, in a social setting. Mm. So there's different things going on here. There's whether there is a lot of reflection going on regularly and whether you're willing to share and you can't discern which is which and which is the other. But my feeling is that people struggle more now to work on new complex material because they're less familiar with just sitting and thinking things through and adding the thing they learnt today to something they learnt last week mm. and building links. So there's less of a network in people's brains to make use because they're not having this quiet time. Yeah. Other than the, the doctor surgery, have you gone with doing the quiet time if you're, say, at home or on the train with slightly less distractions? Yeah, so I've, been, I've put a big focus, again, this is... In due, partly due to our conversation with Penny Lacasso, that I put a big focus on the word distraction, and I've had a, a big think about, especially my phone, um, and and even entertainment about tools versus toys. Like you would mm. describe your phone, 
and how you know I can identify you know a myriad of things that I might want to buy you know um, like that that are toys, and then I can think of maybe more more things like uh, that I would that I would refer to as tools, and that actually has helped even my consumer choices. Strangely enough, as like you know in, in a in a consumerist society where we just want more, yeah, um, it's helped me a lot to think about things as whether they're going to be tools or toys. Um, and even if you ask a second question, even if it's a toy, mm. how long do you really think the toy will be entertaining for? Because right. in life there's got to be some toys. Yeah, Toys are fine, yeah. but how long is the toy going to be entertaining for before you need the next toy? Yeah. So if you can only justify the expense of one toy, what one's going to be entertaining for the longest amount of time? Yeah, that's it. So in doing that, I've... Yeah. Also, so yeah. So in doing that, I've really thought about my phone um, as a, a as a tool, and I've thought about my use of it being a distraction. So what I've done is limited my use of uh, certain applications. Um, since obviously talking with Penny, I've deleted Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn off my phone, just so that I have purposeful use of those things uh, on my laptop. Yeah, a bit like Penny was saying, when you do it, you do it deliberately to get a job done. Exactly. Yeah. And. I have r- removed, uh, I think, in in a reasonable fashion, removed distractions from my phone. So YouTube, I now need to watch on my laptop as well because I only allow myself 20 minutes to watch YouTube on my phone a day, which yep. stops me staying in bed and watching YouTube for an hour before I get up, you know. Um, See, that's an interesting thing Aubrey Marcus talks about um, in his book of a whole pile of little bit tips. What's it called? Own the day or something like that. Mm. We can look it up and put that in accurately after uh, but he says yeah when you get up one of the most important things when you wake up is to get up absolutely and my funny little morning ritual is to get up and at this time of year when we'll start going to hay fever the season first thing is to go and get an antihistamine yeah. then to go and take it with a glass of water then to dry and put away last night's dishes mm. and that is a ritual of everything from the time of eyes open decided it is time to get up is purposeful and he's absolutely right that if you start with that purposefulness, it's infinitely easier to get stuff done mm. and to then have free time later. Because it might be being a farm kid. I don't know where it comes from or maybe just my mum and dad. But they were always people who said, if there's stuff to do, get up and get it done because the sooner it's finished, the sooner you get your day back. Absolutely. So smash work into the morning and get as much of the afternoon or evening back as you can. So people who wander about and agonise and ponder what to do and waste that hour in the morning. I, I just don't understand it. I couldn't enjoy doing that if I knew the stuff I needed to get done. I simultaneously, I agree with you. However, I've been a culprit of those kinds of mornings. Is that just the power of the phone being so appealing because it's so visual, like the little screen of the bright colors and it responds immediately? Yeah, it, it, it must be. And so like a nice thing about this, you know, um, if you have an Android phone, I'm sure our listeners out there, I'm not sure whether iPhone has an equivalent. However, uh, it it will go to black and white at certain times of the oh, night. Oh, yeah, you can set it to night mode and it takes the blue light out. Yep. Uh, not just not just the blue light out, but you can actually set oh, your phone it black to go and white? completely okay. monochrome. Wow. Um, so that it, again, is not... Takes the thrill out. Yeah, it takes the thrill out of it. Um, so for a little bit of text, like a last message or something, fine. Yeah. But for anything visual... It was interesting too when you were talking about YouTube because then I immediately started thinking toy and tool. Yeah. I probably spend an hour a day 
listening to YouTube. Definitely. But it's going through my subscriptions. Most of it is knowledge-based. Yes. Netflix, I'll probably waste my subscription because <laughs> it's pointless drama and I don't care. Mm. Somewhere along the line, I ended up so fun is learning. Mm. Just drama. Like I love good sci-fi, but I'd rather that in a good audio book at the end of the day as my pure pleasure. Whereas in a sense, YouTube is still learning, finding stuff to put in teaching, finding stuff to put up on Blind Insights. Mm. You know, that hour is what could I find that adds to you know, empowering people, empowering students, adding to the Blind Insights Facebook page. It's still a purposeful hour. And it's only after that that I'll then go and read a cool audio book. I want to talk about the power of the arts in another episode because I... I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, let's say, but I I tend to agree with you that I would much prefer spending my time learning things than I would to engage with uh, to pointless drama, let's say, on mm. on Netflix. Mm. Um, There's got to be a thought in it, and yeah. Well, then this takes us round back to why are people so uncomfortable with their thoughts? <laughs> Is it they're so used to being distracted? See, it, I need to first have an idea planted for me to spend time reflecting and be productive with that reflection. Okay. Because otherwise, if there isn't a, a, a clear input, I will then reflect on things that are, n- are not only not productive, but uh, what would you say? Like counterproductive, I suppose. Yeah. I will end up reflecting on things like let's say I'm sure uh, some of our listeners may you know have experiences with depression that so some negative thoughts yeah, come forward. negative thoughts okay. can come forward. I think that's that's what's so scary about reflection for some people. I would say because that's what I was thinking then as you started talking about is okay if we're in a period where more and more people stress is becoming overwhelming, more and more anxiety, more and more people you know able and willing to talk about depression Mm. that part of this thing might really be is the not wanting to deal with silence because in silence negativity comes forward so somewhere along the line people have to learn that they can control what pops into their head or they can say no not that thought and choose something else Mm. so it sort of links back into choice theory you know Mm. you you can choose not to keep thinking about something with discipline you can move your thoughts on, but only if that's become, you know, your pattern of behaviour is to choose to move them on. Whereas if you don't know how to do that, learning that once you feel overwhelmed must be very frightening. Mm. You know, to try and exercise choice after, say, anxiety or depression or stress have dominated your thinking. And I suppose that's really interesting. I wonder if as a little kid, like learning to use the cane and stuff like that, part of the way of learning to cope with the near misses of learning to use the white cane is going, okay, don't need to dwell on that because that's going to make using it worse. I need to think what the lesson is mm-hmm. and think about the lesson and how the lesson will empower me. Well, that's an anti-fragility It's just so mind. deep. Mm. But so deep, I don't even know when it started. Whereas if what started was doubling down on the negativity, then that silence would be really uncomfortable. I think it's... I'm not even sure whether it's necessarily doubling down on the negativity in all cases, but 
I think for me, this is my experience, and I, I don't want to prescribe this to anyone else, but it if if there is nothing clear that requires my reflection, like if there is not a topic that I desperately want to or need to reflect on, I'm going to return to things that I still probably haven't given closure to. Mm, um, haven't been packed away yet. Yeah. And most of those things are negative. Yeah. Okay. This is an interesting thing when I started yoga, but there's so much focus in yoga on controlling your breath along with the movement mm. that I was always good at sitting and you know, just passively absorbing the world and being situationally aware. But to be able to now get so lost in just listening to and feeling my own breathing, mm. I can literally do an hour and a half of practice and not think. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. But that's fantastic because I like thinking the rest of the time. So it's the juxtaposition I enjoy. Mm. It's not like I don't like thinking, but knowing I can have time off from thinking. And also trusting that the time off from deliberate prefrontal cortex rational thought to let the unconscious just bubble away. So often at the end of a yoga practice, something I've been pondering on for a few days, the unconscious will give me its answer. Mm. I was like, oh, cool. Well, I know where that came from. <laughs> Nowhere, which means out of the unconscious. Mm. I think what I'm hoping to get out of this, I've made it sound quite negative and maybe our listeners are wondering why I'm even bothering to stop distracting myself. But <laughs> what I'm hoping to get out of it is to re rewire my brain because currently it's, it is wired that, okay, I've got nothing to do. I'm going to do something productive on my phone or I'm going to distract myself with something fun. Mm. What I would rather is put myself into creative states, states where I'm able to engage the creativity in my brain. Because if I'm waking up and I'm watching YouTube, if I'm waking up or whatever it is, and I'm not not going with Aubrey Marcus's... Yeah, it's neither know, productive or, or creative. It's just yeah. kind of going, oh, I'm awake, mm. but I'm not using it. Yeah. The science behind using your phone immediately when you wake up basically pulls you immediately out of a creative state. I think it's the theta waves. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure. It puts you straight into um, alpha or beta, which yeah, is... Something else that is less productive. Exactly. Um, and so I'm, yeah, desperately trying to rewire my brain. Um, I, I think, and eventually I will be in a state where maybe I can reach the same level of appreciation for silence that, that, that you have, David. Um, it's that... It's just another gear and I think that's the way to think about it is that you can either be productive mm. or you can kill time mm. or you can have that quiet space that is potentially very positive because it frees you to think things through and solve things and be creative. But it, it's not like you're trying to get rid of the just downtime or replace just conventional productive. You just want an extra gear in the gearbox. Mm. I think there will be a lot of listeners out there who are going to agree with what we're saying who would probably even aspire to uh, having more moments of silence. But I think the key is more so that it's it's not, it doesn't work immediately. You can't just put yourself in silence and then no, and and have an appreciation No, and you can't beat yourself up it. about it. Yeah. You have to just gently say, brain, we're not going to pick the phone up or brain, leave the biscuit tin alone or mm. brain, mm. you know, just we're going back to just sitting quietly and i really do think from the experience of yoga that focusing on breathing and every mindfulness technique focuses on breathing because you have to do it and if you can slow it and make it clear and listen to it and feel it that will keep you fairly well centered and help you get 
that calm quietness out of which sort of this productive thinking state can come. Listeners, if you want to have a go at breathing, your ideal place you want to get down to eventually is about six to eight breaths per minute. In through your nose, out through your nose, and stop breathing with your chest. Yeah, Imagine a spot below your belly button, about four or five centimetres below your belly button. When you breathe in, that spot goes out. When you breathe out, that spot goes back in towards your spine. And focus on that spot moving in and out. And leave the focus there and see how you go. And that way you're getting your body involved, you're moving your centre of attention to that. You know, Listen to your breathing, listen to the sound in your nose. Feel the sensation of the different temperature of cold air going in on a cold day mm. and warm air going out after. Double down on paying attention to each sensation one at a time. The sensation of breathing in, the sensation of breathing out. The sensation of the air going in, the sensation of the air going out. The way it feels to have your hands just crossed in your lap or to have your ankles just crossed. What it feels to have you know, one ankle laying on the other one. And just each slow breath, focus on one bit at a time until that is a way to get yourself back to centred and then let your brain wander a bit. But then bring it back by focusing on the breathing again and see if you can become you know, comfortable in that quietness. I, I, I personally like to visualise actually my lungs when I focus on my breathing. I like to think of them as almost like an accordion uh, because your, your diaphragm, which is what what you were uh, yeah. telling our listeners to engage Age. when they breathe with their with their stomach yeah. or b- below mm. their belly button mm. it kind of works on the same kind of science that an accordion does like mm. our, like our lungs in that you you're you're creating a vacuum that the air f- flows into mm. which makes it you know a note and then you compress that air out yep. into a, you know through, through a different hole and that makes a different note for uh, people who like visualizations there's a fantastic one uh, that a lot of navy seals have written about Mm. that they reckon is the best thing for when you're being drown-proofed. Wow. Which is a whole scary thing of being you know, thrown in a pool with your ankles and wrists bound and you have to learn to calm the hell down so you don't drown. So you know, you will be saved if it goes wrong, but you need to get to the point where you can just happily sit on the bottom for a minute. Mm. Uh, and the visualisation that so many of them have written about is imagine a translucent skull. Mm. Now imagine the translucent skull full of dirty water, you know, silt and mud and garbage. You know, in the water. And each breath in and each breath out, imagine that gradually the water clears until eventually all you've got is the clear crystal skull and clear water within it. And the number of people, when I've told them about that, they've had a go and found actually that visualisation of gradually clearing the murk out of the water and the water becoming clear within the clear skull because it's such a focus on where their brain should be it has a really interesting impact on their level of calmness. Mm. Uh, I like the imagery. I'm like, well, where's the light source? Because it has to be a light source to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. David, shut up and just <laughs> just do it. Don't, don't think too deeply. <laughs> so I think we've got to the point of going, it's good to be quiet. Mm. Maybe a couple of ways to get to quiet. That then has the second thing of, is an electric shock just a source of novelty? Now, having touched electric fences multiple times on farms, <laughs> no. <laughs> it's it's not too horrible, but neither is it novel. But then that's also megadose voltage to make sure horses and cattle don't wreck fences. Well, sorry, 
Yeah, high voltage, very low amperage, which is mm. why it works and doesn't hurt you. Mm. Uh, have you had the displeasure of electric fences? Uh, self-inflicted. Yeah, well, uh, that's normally the way. Yeah, because isn't isn't it? Maybe that's like that's the key to the novelty of it, isn't it? Though, mm. because I remember you know um, b- b- being on uh, farms and, and things when I was was a kid and and having that curiosity of what does it What's feel it like? like to touch yeah. an electric fence. And you know you, you do it, and it, you know it's it's kind of fun. It's it's almost like a jackass style. Yeah, that it's there's some novelty in hurting yourself. It's really strange. And particularly, I would guess when we look at the disparity between males and females with Timothy Wilson's experiment, ah. guys do more stupid shit that can end in pain. Yeah. That's just young males. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, I'm bored. Well, I'm not that bored, but what if I electrocute myself? They wouldn't let me do this if it was really harmful. Mm. Oh, what the heck, I get out of here early. So <laughs> how many people really couldn't sit but actually just thought, eh, how bad can it be? He's allowed to do this to us. We're allowed to do it to ourselves. It can't be so bad. And if the promise was that at the end of the experiment you get a donut, I'd zap myself for the donut. <laughs> I was just thinking that. It yeah, was... What's the prize for the experiment? Yeah. We don't have enough information. Because... <laughs> I almost wouldn't want to participate unless there was a prize, which is why there are prizes in experiments. But I would want, yeah, I would want to know that if I was even sitting quietly that I'm spending my time well um, because otherwise I would just do it. I would do that on my own time. If a psychologist said our experiment is we're going to train you in mindfulness yeah, and the benefit will be you fill in our thing and see if it works, but you also get the benefit, fine. But that's not teaching anything. Also, that is teaching something. What we're talking about here of just sit or be shocked isn't Mm. teaching anything, Mm. potentially. So, yeah, the fact that you're allowed to do it, the fact there's the only thing in the room is clearly an apparatus that when you touch it's going to shock you. Mm. So the most entertaining thing in the room is the apparatus. Mm. It is the only point of difference from a boring table or boring chair in a boring room. Yeah. Of course, if you're going to fidget and play, you're going to go, oh, what the heck. That's why, it's why you're going to eat the mushroom. The mushroom. You're going to eat the marshmallow. Yeah, see, I'd like love to know what I would have done as a little kid <laughs> whether I would have had the discipline to wait and get a second marshmallow and how old you need to be before you can think that through and be sure you want it. Because mm. yeah, we all think, oh, adults, oh, of course we'd wait. Well, we, they don't do it with adults. They do it with kids because kids don't have the impulse control. <laughs> That's the whole point is to see when impulse control emerges. Yeah. So really... The whole novelty thing of the shock and the fact that the apparatus to shock you is the only novelty in the room and they're going to let you do it, which means it can't be too bad because what uni could hurt undergrads. Mm. So why not shock yourself and get out of there early? It doesn't actually tell you whether people can sit with their own thoughts. I think it would actually be interesting to test uh, almost probably... Certainly un, 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 unethical, but wouldn't it be interesting to test whether people sat uh, through it easier or, or differently after, you know, recent kind of not necessarily traumatic experience, but negative experiences in their life, like a bad breakup or something like that? Yeah, whether your emotional state when you went into it. Mm. The other experiment I think would be a lot of fun would be to say to people, okay, this is going to be an experiment about how much pain you can deal with. Ooh. Put your hand on this pad and every 10 seconds you're going to get a slightly higher jolt. Mm. You take your hand off and leave it off when you're ready. Now, would blokes keep their hand on there for as long as possible? Just go, oh, I'm a bloke. A bit like eating chili. <laughs> and would girls go, this is silly, and go home? Mm. 
what's the so it's not an experiment about silence it's an experiment oh, it's an experiment about novelty mm. oh that puts a whole twist on it <laughs> and then we get to our third question if we think we're there and I think we probably are mm. why don't people just get up and walk out or do they and it doesn't get reported mm. how is it that simply agreeing to do the experiment of sit silently or shock yourself means you don't create a third option you're under no compulsion it's not even the social contract where you know there'll be a consequence. This is a no consequence game. Is it not a? It's not necessarily a social contract. However, is there a level of social obligation because you're helping out precisely an authority figure within an institution? Yeah. So this is, I think, why people either do sit or shock themselves rather than just walk out. Mm. Yeah. You wonder if there's someone who gets bored and just decides to put the chair on the table and then stand on the chair or, you know, just... Yeah, that'd be cool. ...lays on the floor and goes to sleep or... Yeah, you know, if people flips the table upside down. Yeah, or it just does something odd. <laughs> you know, or do people just sit at the chair and go... <laughs> and is there an authority figure who checks in? The sense you get is there isn't. Is there a, is there a two, like a one-way mirror as well? Yeah, are you under surveillance? Yeah. The lack of information here is kind of annoying. <laughs> Because if we're all under surveillance, then we're all more likely to behave. Or in my case, not knowing the mirrors there, probably do exactly what I do anyway. Like I think I'd either sit and enjoy my thinking, or I'd probably put my head on my hands and have a nap. Isn't that such a good example of why the minutiae of an experiment makes a massive That's so difference? critical. Yeah, yeah. So I think what we've got out of this is thinking quietly, good mm-hmm. novelty, a big driver, mm. and the power of even a perception of authority or obligation to authority is incredibly significant. Mm. That's really interesting. For something that we just thought was cool but we didn't know what to do with, (laughs) we've got three different things out of it. I agree. Do you think we need a fourth one or are we all good? Well, I want to talk a little bit. We've talked a bit about mindfulness and being able to reflect and having thinking time. Um, I want to delve a little bit deeper into the creativity or the creative component of sitting in silence, sitting without inputs. When because you were playing guitar, mm-hmm. could you practice without it in your hands? Could you practice in your head? That's an interesting point. No. Mm. I have, because this, <laughs> this is what separates the boys from the men, I think, in musicians, is my ability to visualize music was uh, poor. Mm. And this is why um, complex problem solving last year, I made the point to you guys with Anders Ericsson's work uh, that you don't visualise, you do mental representation. Yes. You need to engage as many senses as possible and even imagine what your body would feel like doing it. Mm. Because unless you get a full neurological engagement, some party brain is, oh, this is just, meh, moves on. <laughs> without that knowledge, though, without thinking about those things, I would never have attempted it. And so... Mm. I never did because mm. you know, my my interest in guitar waned after high school, so it's I I never really gave myself the opportunity I guess to to really mentally represent what it was. I mean I could I could do it now, but I'm so out of not necessarily out of practice. I just don't really want to. Yeah, I my my I I have not developed my skills since leaving high school. Yeah, it's like I I. Still own lots of guitars. I still own a beautiful violin, mm. but my creative time is much better spent messing with words mm. than it is with instruments. 
that that's my big realization so making sure you find the right creative thing yeah i think is but isn't it interesting how our brains are so capable of of coming up with incredible things and yet when we're presented with an opportunity to use that creative component of our brains which is yeah yeah it, but i think yeah, you're we, onto we something don't. here you need to find the right creative thing mm. Like I picked up guitar probably for similar reasons to you, listening to way too much heavy metal. (laughs) And initially it was a form of emulation Mm. of people who were cool. Mm. Now violin was a more deliberate choice for me and I loved. But if I can't play at that level, it's like, well, meh. But playing with words, telling stories, teaching people, for me the minute it's word-based, that's when my desire to be creative kicks in. So at the moment, getting semester two's master's level course ready. Mm. At one level, it's work to redesign a course, but it's also the pleasure of going, how do I make this more effective? Mm. How do I make it that people will learn faster and I will enjoy delivering it in a way where my enthusiasm will be evident? That That's where the creativity comes so easily. So you seem to have no problem spending a chunk of the week editing big audio files to make them sound nice. <laughs> So that's far closer to the creativity you value than playing guitar was. That's true. So you found your creativity. You just, well, how do you perfect this one? It's different to guitar. Guitar you can measure. Can you play, you know, a solo off a song you like? Or can you write a song as cool as another song you like? Or how, when you're working with words, Mm. can you tell if you're there? Now we could start trying to do poetry. Like Youngblood and I had a fortnight where we were writing haikus. Yeah. yeah. That got really weird. <laughs> it was entertaining because, we, again, we both love words. But we realised we don't love the form enough to do it all the time. Mm. It was much novelty. Va- and when you realise that even the rules of haiku have been bent to make it easier for Westerners, it's like, oh, forget about it. <laughs> so they think, oh, should I get into poetry? So I try and listen to poetry for a week and go, oh, no. <laughs> just doesn't work for my... I was going to say rational brain. Mm. I'll just say my my unpoetic brain. That's fairer. My brain is many things, but it's not poetic. <laughs> so what about you? Poetry ever pressed any buttons? It does in a dead dead poet society kind of way. Right. In, in that the experiences that I had with poetry in English classes were formative, I would say. Um, so might that be where the love of interviewing and talking and constructing these as good as they can possibly audio files comes from? I would say that it. I think it's. I think it's accurate to say that my creative outlet is it, it, with words because I still like creating verbose sentences for academic, you know, essays that then I get in trouble for for making too verbose. Yes, because it's the amazing <laughs> seven line sentence. <laughs> yeah, that's with right. With a couple too few punctuation. But I like doing that. It's fun. <laughs> it is. I We're, like. I like. I like effectively communicating as much information as I can in a short amount of. Yeah. Whereas words. I, I'm sort of an Orwellian, Camusian communicator. Mm. I want to get the eleven word sentence with the greatest power. Yeah. That that's my game. Yeah. I you know, and I have read, I have read or- Orwell's essay mm. on on a political language. I believe it was mm. on and 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 trying to how we should probably talk in every man's speak. Yeah. And I agree with that. Yeah. 
But I also think that it, in some ways you can have it as a creative art form. Especially simple language English. doesn't mean simple ideas, and that's the real power. Yeah. Is to use clear language for complex things. Yeah. Small words for big ideas. Definitely. That that's the fun. Churchill's uh pamphlet from the late eighteen nineties or very early nineteen hundreds on how to write and give speeches. That's fantastic. I haven't I haven't heard of it. Okay, I'll try and so, find that yeah. for you because that's really interesting. It it just from such a master communicator. Mm. And that's interesting with Churchill. The fact that you know, most of his life once he had the money to, he would dictate to other people then that would be tidied, then he'd do a final edit, and then that would be the final thing. Mm. So he was putting things together nearly perfect in his head to then have them captured, to then do a final edit to get them even more perfect. And you know, later in his career, he would have people you know, giving up positions you know, at Oxford and Cambridge to come and be his researchers because mm. being around him was so interesting. And you know, his personal library was that good, they were having a blast. <laughs> but again, to fill in the things he may not remember. So it doesn't... You, know, you may have your creative thing all sorted and all you want to be able to do is get in the state to work with it more easily. Mm. But part of that is too, can you sit and work on it if you're not interviewing someone, if you're not working on an audio file? Like, is it time for you to start writing a book <laughs> or writing poetry? Mm. If words are so central, what are you going to do with them? And again, this is not a challenge. It's just something to think about. No, no, I, I, I think it. I think this is just something that our audience can draw from. It's that it want, maybe everyone who's listening should be able to identify something that maybe they can think about and have a creative outlet that that actually satisfies them in their silence. And this is my great fear with a society that gives people too many distractions and says it's okay to entertain yourself now until you're bored and then entertain yourself again is in a world where that level of distraction and entertainment exists. How do you find your creative thing that both makes you happy in the moment and makes you want to continue doing that for as long as possible into the future? Like, I can't imagine the day where playing with words to communicate effectively and entertainingly isn't what makes me happy. Because it's both enjoyable and purposeful mm. and good for me but transcends self mm. because even if I like it I don't get the feedback until I say it to you yeah <laughs> or you know say it in a lecture or say it on radio or you know, say it anywhere yeah so mm. yeah I, I've got a, a novel sitting on a USB drive that one day should be edited it's okay it's not great I don't think maybe that's my form. I think speaking aloud is more my form because I have fun. At some point, we're going to have to do a thing of outtakes of me doing silly voices <laughs> and goofy stories and tongue twisters and wordplay because that's just free-form weirdness. It's great. Mm. But, you know, listeners, find your creative thing that you can visualize in silence that gives you joy and helps you to transcend self. To go, I'm part of this bigger thing called the world full of people and ideas and amazingness. Because if you can transcend self, then you get some time off from worrying and from stress and from being affected by things. To say, I'm bigger than this, I can soar above it for a while. 
that's pretty cool. David, I have to thank you for gracing us with uh, your creative outlet today by, <laughs> by talking with us. And uh, listeners, uh, you may notice that this possibly this episode possibly sounds slightly different to many of the other ones. Not that we've ever really had a consistent sound, because of course I've been playing with trying to get the perfect sound am- amongst all of our episodes. So. Um, hopefully let us know what sound you prefer whether this is something we'll go ahead with and uh, yeah thanks for listening listeners I'm suggesting you like this one because I do (laughs) Uh, bye for now hello listeners if you're enjoying our podcast please subscribe and like our Facebook page search for Blind Insights with David Olney also don't forget that we have merchandise Thank you to the OzCast Network. Peace out.